John 12, verses 20 through 26. is our paragraph tonight. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, which is the Passover, 12.1 says it was six days before the Passover. So we're talking about this event is in the context of right after Palm Sunday. Jesus just wrote in, they claimed him, they proclaimed him to be king of the Jews on the donkey. And this is very right after that event. So these came to Philip, who was born of Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew, and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You can't read this text and not ask the question, how do you see Jesus? They wish to see Jesus. I mean, it's the question uh, that John's gospel asks over and over and over again. And many different people give their understanding of that and give an answer to what do you think of when you think of Jesus or who is he? How do you see him? Um, John 1 begins with Jesus as the word. It says, we beheld his glory, the disciples said. They saw Jesus and they came to know he was the son of God. Chapter 1, 18 says, no one has seen God at any time, but Jesus exegetes him is literally what it says. So if you've seen Jesus, 14, 9, You've seen the Father. So one answer is, when you see, how do you see Jesus? Well, you should see him as God. He's the living word of God. John the baptizer introduces the question to some of his followers when Jesus appears on the scene. He says, behold, behold, look, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is not only the Son of God, he's the Lamb of God, he says. Jesus says to a couple of the disciples when they first wanted to understand who he was, he says, come and see Come and see. Nathaniel said, hey, I found the person, this guy must be the Messiah. And he tells a couple of his friends who become disciples. He says, come and see. Come and see the man who saw me under the tree. We come all the way to Nicodemus. Nicodemus wants to come and see who Jesus is. He says, you have to be from God. No one can say and do the things that you do unless you're from. So Nicodemus is trying to figure out, hey, who is this man? How do I see Jesus? The woman at the well told all the men in town, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see him. What do you think? I, I think he's the Messiah, she says. And on and on throughout the book, Jesus says in chapter 11 and verse 9, see, see, you can see the light of the world. He says, I'm the light of the world. People are in darkness, but when you look at me, you have the light of life, he says. Jesus told Mary at the tomb of Lazarus, if you believe you would see the glory of God. You have to believe. So to believe that Jesus, to see him as the son of God, to believe he's the lamb of God, to believe he's the Messiah, you have to have faith. Judas wanted to see who Jesus was, but never really did. Peter did, but denied it. 
The disciples didn't understand it. The crowds rejected it. The religious leaders disdained him for that. Pilate talked to Jesus in person and tried to see who he was, but he just saw him as someone he had to get rid of to maintain the peace. And it's not until, really, do you remember all the stories at the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus is resurrected and he's walking down the road with the two disciples, probably Cleopas and his wife, and he's, he appears to other people, Mary in the garden. And what do you find out about these Jesus sightings at the end of the Gospel? Do they understand who he is or understand right away? No, he has to tell them, oh, it's me. Or, and then he, he breaks the bread and they go, oh, it's Jesus. And then he disappears. What's the point of all those stories? Because here's what the, jo- the Gospel of John wants to tell you, that you really will never see Jesus for who he is unless you have faith that he died on the cross and that he rose again. And when you understand the cross and you understand the empty tomb, i.e. Easter, When you figure out those two events and what that says about Jesus, then you really see him for who he is. Now now back, putting that little template into our text, we wish to see Jesus. The Bible never really tells us what they wish to see him for. We don't know. We do know they're Greeks. We do know that it's the Passover. And we do know that everybody's excited to see Jesus um, because, remember, He's riding into town on a donkey. Now, you may not think of it, but Israelites were very historical. And about 110 years earlier, there was another guy who rode in on Passover to Jerusalem on a donkey, and they put palm branches in front of him. Jesus wasn't the only one to have this happen. His name was Judas Maccabeus. In fact, it was such an historical event because he gave them freedom for about 70 or 80 years from anybody ruling over them, that they minted coins. And I have a replica coin, and on the back, it has a palm branch and Judas Maccabeus. Because he came in, and what they expected of Messiahs at Passover and why the city was crowded, it went from 20,000 to 120,000. It was super crowded because everybody had the expectation that if Messiah ever came, it would definitely be at Passover because Passover was the time you celebrated the Exodus, which was God's miraculous hand of delivering them from bondage. So what better time could there possibly be than the Messiah coming at Passover? So everyone is there, and and, and the Romans knew it, so every Passover they had boatloads more of soldiers there because they knew there'd be some riot and someone would claim something. So this was nothing new to anyone. But when Jesus rides in on a donkey, they say to this, they say, blessed behold, the king of Israel. This is what they say. It's a quotation of Psalm 118, 22. So they expect Jesus to be a king. Now listen, they see Jesus, and here's what they see when they see him. This is the next king. They put the palm branches down, because in doing so, they're declaring, and this is what kind of king I see you to be. You're going to be the deliverer guy. You rode in a donkey. I wish it would have been a stallion because that would have been more fitting. But nevertheless, I expect you with your miraculous power that raises people from the dead, earlier chapter, Lazarus, if you can raise someone from the dead, what would be your military mindset? Listen, if I could go to battle, and even if I got killed in the battle, what do I have to worry about? Because Jesus can raise me from the dead, right? I mean, we have endless soldiers. We can't lose, right? So that's what they, when they see him, that's what they think he's going to be. Then he shocks them, right? And us. 
Because verse 20 says, 21, we wish to see Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to them. Ready? Verse 23. The hour has come. The phrase is used, depending on how you read it, at least seven times in this motif. Motif is this, that the hour is about Jesus' coming to earth and his purpose here and that he's going to die. It starts in chapter 2 and verse 4 at the wedding of Cana and comes all the way up even past this. It is chapter 17 and verse 1 when Jesus' high priestly prayer, he's kneeling in the garden of Gethsemane. The first thing out of his mouth is, Father, the hour has come. I mean, from the very beginning of his ministry to the very end, he's making a statement. The hour, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and finally it's here. So Jesus says to them, can, you, can I tell you this? You wish to see me. But would you really want to see me if you see me how the mission dictates that I am? Because here's what he's going to tell them about the mission. Ready? He's going to say that the road to glory leads through a cross. He's going to tell them that you want me to die, make everyone else die. What if I told you that to see me means I'm going to die? See, later on in the passage, he says this to all of us. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And what he's going to ask us tonight, and what he's going to tell these Greeks, you really want to see me? If you want to see me, then you better prepare to be like me. And you know what being like me means? That before you get to the glory road, there's a Calvary road. Before you wear the crown, there's going to be a cross. Before you're going to be lifted high, you're going to be beaten down low. He says, you still want to see me? You want to see me for who I really am? You want to see the mission I'm on? Because it's not, listen, and this is what Easter says, it's not just my mission, it's your mission. Because if you're going to be like me, you're going to follow me, he says. And you better be understanding about what it means to see me. You're going to see me dying. Will you still think I'm king then? Watch. I'm preaching on this for Easter. How does the thief on the cross who is dying in the same thing that Jesus is dying, nailed to a cross. The other thief, the insurrectionist on the other side, is putting it in Jesus' face and blaspheming and basically saying the religious leaders what they're saying. If you really are the Son of God, the Messiah, then in other words, Messiahs don't get nailed to a cross. You nail other people to a cross, he's saying. But if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and save us. In other words, you can't even save yourself. How could you be the Messiah to deliver everybody in the whole nation? You can't even save your own self. It's a mockery, he says. But the other guy hangs there for a while, and he watches Jesus, and he says, Are you crazy? We're dying in the same place that the Son of God is. And he says to Jesus, look at this. You've got to think about this. He says, Lord... And actually, in the text, it says, Jesus, remember me. Listen to this. When you come into your kingdom, what's he saying? Oh, I see Jesus. And you know what I see him as? King. I mean, you could see him as king when he's dying. How in the world could you see him on the cross in that condition? You know what? I, I, I put in my notes this week. Jesus can't even move his hands to help this guy. He's about as powerless as a human being could be, but he thinks that Jesus is going to take him into the kingdom. How? Because he saw him differently. In my message at Easter, I'm going to tell you why I think he saw him differently, but for tonight, let me just tell you this. See, when you understand the cross, 
You understand that event. You'll understand who Jesus is. You'll understand what kind of king he is. Hear me. And what that means for you. That Easter is not something to be relegated to some past off event back in the day. That Easter is something for all of us now. So Jesus would say, if you want to see me, you better prepare to be like me. Prepare to follow me. Prepare to walk the Calvary road. Prepare to have your own cross. And then he says this, and if you would serve me, diakonos, if you would be a humble slave, he says, then you can be with me, he says. Next chapter 13, what does Jesus do? Let me see, show you what it means to serve. See, my whole mission, if you want to see me, here's what you see me as. I'm on a cross, and I'm on the floor with a towel at your feet. That's Easter. Easter means that that's who he is. I see him now. So that means, oh yes, that's who I must be. Jesus would say this, that my cross death is not only for your salvation, it's for your imitation. It's so that you can become like me. Now, in the text, and this is the important part, the last few minutes I have left, here's what Jesus says that would look like in real life. Because I said Easter daily, right? So what would it look like in your life and mine if we did that daily, if we lived out Easter every day? Here's what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, that's an introductory formula to something very important. He says it 26 times in this gospel. It means, listen to this, please don't miss it. The hour, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, that's him on the cross, it's alone. But if it dies, it's going to bear fruit. In other words, not only will I reach Jewish people, but I'll reach the Greek people who are asking about me. But you know, in order to do that, what, if I'm going to bear fruit, what happens? I have to die first, and then I bear fruit. Watch what he says that means for you and me now. He turns a truth about himself into a truth for us, and he says in verse 25, Here's what that means for you today, tomorrow, and the next day. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Circle it in your Bible. This is a good way to learn it. There are three little if phrases. You see them there? He says, whoever loves his life will lose it. And he keeps going, if anyone serves me, if anyone. And in verse 25, it doesn't say it in your text, but there's an if in there, and it's not in the English. If anyone loves his life is what it really says in the Greek. Three little if phrases. They're third class conditional means these are future events that are going to characterize your life, and they are cause and effect. Let me explain it to you because this is where it gets down to where we need to apply things to our lives. He says, if you'll do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. So let me give you the two contrasts. You ready? If you love your life, if you do, you will lose it. So what do you have to do instead? You have to hate your life. See, here's the contrast. I'm either choosing tonight to follow. If I want to follow Jesus, I have to hate my life. If I don't want to follow him, I'll love it. If I love it, I'll lose it. If I hate it, I'll keep it. See what he says? So here's what it says. There's a way of loving your life that you will forfeit your soul. There's a way of hating your life which you will guard your soul. That's what he's saying. 
In the Bible, love and hate is not always antithetical, meaning the complete opposite. Remember Malachi 1, 2, and 3? It says this, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Did God hate Esau? No, he loved him less. He actually blessed him and gave him land and prodigy and everything else, right? So loving someone and hating someone doesn't always mean I hate your guts kind of hate. It means I love you less. Jacob was loved more because he was God's chosen. He was part of the genealogy of Jesus. So he loved him less. So here's what Jesus is saying. And I would say, here's the practical question. How do I hate my life, Pastor Walker? Because I don't want to. (laughs) Do I have to walk around? I hate you. I wake up in the morning, brush your teeth. Man, I hate you. Is that what it is? No. What's he saying? If you love your life, let me say Matthew 10 to you. I'll quote it for you. Ready? Matthew 10. Jesus says, if anyone follows me and loves his father, mother, sister, brother more than me, is not worthy of me. So you know what he's getting? The contrast is this. Compared to your love for me, your love for yourself will look like hatred because it's that much inferior. It's less. So here's what I have to do to preserve my soul, Jesus says. When you believe in me, I will be supreme in the affections of your heart and everyone and everything else will be less than that. In fact, it'll look like hatred comparatively So Jesus says to people all the time, hey, let the dead bury their dead. Someone else will bury your father. You follow me. So he says, hate your life that much. He told the rich young ruler, hey, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. In other words, do you love me equal to or more than riches and material possessions? Because you better love me supremely, because you can't follow me unless you're willing to give it all up. And what Jesus wants to know tonight from all of us, is, will you die like that? He says, see me, I die like that. I died like that. I gave up everything. I died on a cross, naked, in shame and suffering for your sin. But what will you do? Will you love me supremely? Will you show it? By loving me better than everything else and everyone else? Jesus says, if you want people to see you in me, then you better become like me. The other contrast is this. The first is love versus hate. Watch this, though. It's put, they both go together. He says, but you have to hate your life. Do you see the little addendum? In this world. If you hate your life in this world, you will keep it, what does it say? Unto eternal life. See the contrast? The contrast is a love-hate thing, but it's also a now and later thing. You have to say, I hate my life now so I can have eternal life later. So someone who knows Jesus and someone who has a cross in their life and someone who's living Easter every day and someone who can have Jesus be seen in them is a person that has this contrast working itself out in their life, that Jesus is supreme and everyone and everything else is less And what matters more to me than anything else is not what happens to me now, but what happens to me later. So I don't have to have it now. See, I don't have to have the car now, therefore I can love it less. I don't have to have the approval of people at church or at work when they disagree. I don't have to, you know why? Because I'm living for later, not now. I don't have to be successful now. So I can love sports less, and I can love education less, Less, 
And I can love promotions at work less than Jesus. You know why? Because that's only about now. I'm worried about the eternal promotions. I'm worried about standing before God, not my boss as much, not because it doesn't matter. I can choose to be downwardly mobile instead of upwardly mobile like the American dream would have it. You know why? Because now is not as important as later. And every time I make those choices in my life, here's what I'm saying. I hate my life. I love Jesus supremely. I love him more than that. I love him more than sports. I love him more than people. I love him more than education. I love him more than all the things the world has to offer and all the American dream has to get. And that's what missionaries say when they leave the comforts of home and Juan and Melissa go to Columbia instead of staying here with their family. You know what they said? I hate my life. That's why I'm going. Because he's supreme. And I give it all up and I may risk things. And I even can love security less, less because of how great he is. That's what it means to follow Jesus, and that's what it means to die every day. Easter, Jesus says, is not about my cross only. It's about yours. You want to see me? Be like me, he says. You know what I did? I died, and I died alone. And God said, that's why, Jesus, you're bearing so much fruit. You want to be like me? You want people to see me and you? Guess what? Lose your life. Lose it. Hate it in comparison. Love me supreme. Make conscious choices, intentional choices about when you're getting up, that you love him better than sleep, and you love him better than food. And I probably shouldn't talk that one up too much. Right? And I tell him all the time, every time I get it, he asks the guys, I get a lot of books in the mail because I read a lot. And I whisper to him, I love you better than this book, although I really like this book a lot. I love you more. I love it. My wife is here, and there's no person who I love better. Honey, but you don't compare to Jesus. Not even close. But I love her. She's more, but he's more important than anything and anyone. And that's what he says Easter is about. And that's what it means to live it every day. So ask yourself the question as we close tonight. What in you must die so that you could be fruitful for Jesus. What has to die in you? Some old habit? Some secret sin that nobody else knows about? Some root of pride? That you're so full of yourself you can't even see it, you're blind to it. Maybe the fear of looking foolish in front of people. See, Pastor Walker, if I lost my life and I put you first and you were supreme in my heart... You know, people might think I'm a little weird. I know. They thought Jesus was weird too, didn't they? Maybe it's your desperate need of approval. Maybe it's your desire for some sort of pleasure, good or bad. If you're a Christian, these last two things, you have already died. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. And by the way, did you know this? So did you, if you know him and you're in him. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Did you know Easter was not just his crucifixion, it was yours? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, when you, I died, you died. Read Romans 6 for yourself. 
And when you die, guess what died? Galatians 5, 24. He says, and those that belong to Christ have crucified the affections and the lust. In other words, you died to everything that could be possibly in comparison to Jesus. All the things of the flesh, he mentions. You died to all of that, he says. That's our position. But listen, you know what Easter every day means? I died in the past, but I have to die in the present too. Every single day. Jesus said, and I close with this, Luke 9, 23. He says, if you would be my disciple. In other words, actually he says, you cannot be my disciple if you do not take up your cross. Hear this. D-A-I-L-Y and follow me. Pick up your cross Easter every day. You can't be my disciple if you don't practice Easter every day. He says, that's what it means. And so here's what Easter is. Here's my position. Now help me to make my practice match up to it. I'm dead in Christ, dead to all those sins and affections and all those old things. But you know what I got to do? I got to practice it. And you know as well as I do, that's where we come in and it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I don't always die, I can tell you. You can tell, right? I don't always die to everything. I need to, I need to die more. So here's a radical Easter prayer until now to April 19th, 21st. Say, God, show me in my life what needs to die in me so that people can see you, right? What has to die in me so people can see you? Let's pray. Father, help us. We wish we could say, I wish I could say, that I could die to every sin and they never prob- no, no problems, no temptation. I wish it was true. It isn't. Forgive us. We fall short. We still do. That's not something that says anything about you, but it sure says a lot about us. Father, you said in Matthew 7 that the gate is narrow and the way is hard. It's hard. It's hard to die to ourselves. It's hard to take the Calvary road. It's hard not to put people way higher in our affections. Than it's hard. It's hard not to be popular. It's part hard not to want what everyone else around us wants. But it wasn't as hard as it was for you to die. And you live in us. And Father, we're so thankful that our death, your death is our death and your life is our life. Therefore, as you conquered, we conquer. In fact, Paul said it, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us so. May your love triumph in in us. Set in us a well-ordered love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.